Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi there. I'm Nate Fisher. And this is Timeline Tapes, the history podcast made by the YouTube channel Timeline. Our channel has hundreds of extraordinary documentaries to enjoy, but we know that not everyone has the time to watch a full documentary in one sitting. So we're turning our favorite ones into podcasts that you can enjoy wherever you are. In this week's episode, we return to the story of two British RAF pilots, John Peters and John Nichol, who were shot down captured and tortured by Iraqi soldiers during the Gulf War of 1991. They continue to relive their experiences of the days that followed their capture, including persistent torture, being paraded on Iraqi television, and what it was like to be reunited with their families after being inside solitary confinement for so long. The narrator is writer and producer Mark Halloley, and the episode was originally produced for Channel 4's Cutting Edge series as an exclusive interview in which both pilots broke their silence on the events that occurred. Somebody else came in sometime later and, you know, said, what's your number, what's your rank, what's your name, where are you from? And then he said, well, it doesn't matter, Nickel, I know you're a navigator. And that strikes home when you think, well, it's not a difficult guess to make, you know, whether you're a pilot or a navigator. It's uh, not unreasonable. They'd be guessing earlier down the line, trying to, you know, trying to trick us. And so I said, I cannot answer that question. And he said, OK, uh, I can tell you, Navigator, that you fly tornadoes. Again, not a, not a difficult guess to say that we saw deep inside Iraqi territory in tornadoes. And then he said, and I know you come from Bahrain. Again, all this was in the papers. So it's, get, it's more and more worrying. He's getting at you now. You're thinking, where's this information come from? Conceivably, he could be guessing. Conceivably, he could have seen it in papers. They, we were, you know, undoubtedly there were television reports about, you know, a crew being shot down from Bahrain or whatever it was. Uh, and in the event, there was an awful lot of television reports about that, and an awful lot of information could be gleaned by the enemy from those press and TV reports. So again, you know, I wasn't, although I was concerned, I wasn't, you know, distraught by the whole thing. And then he said, "I know you come here and refuel from your Victor tankers." and drop your bombs from, you refuel from your Victor tank as a 10,000 feet, and then you come and drop your bombs on me. And, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at him, and I think he knows that, you know, that he's, uh, he's found a little bit of a hook here. And then he said, uh, and I also know that your attack didn't work, and that you dropped your bombs in the desert. 
And then I knew that he'd obviously, the only person that this could have come off from was JP. And, you know, I just think to myself, you know, what have they done to him to make him tell them? Uh, and you're concerned, and I was very concerned for him, but I was thinking, what are they going to do to me to make me tell them? There seemed to be a change, a, a purpose to this one. They force you down onto, uh, onto the black vinyl tubular chair and, uh, and somebody said, what's your number? Quite slowly, what's your rank, what's your name? And then they said, uh, what squadron are you from? And I said, I cannot answer that. And half it got out. And then uh, somebody felt, you know, like the world exploded in my head. Somebody hit me with a fist or a piece of wood or a club. I don't know what it was. But uh, it, the lights just went out in my head and then came on again brilliantly. You know, there was, the Milky Way was going off in there. And, uh, and then somebody punched me in the face. It definitely felt like a fist. And then kicked me in the stomach or something. I don't know what it was. And, uh, and while this is going on, the guy's trying to question you, but... It's in, the, it's in the distance, you can't hear anything. You know, there's, not, there's nothing there apart from somebody, you know, really working you over. And I, could, I was sitting, feeling uh, the blood dripping off my nose, and I could feel it hitting my flying suit, you know, through my flying suit, my chemical suit, long johns, and I could just feel it dripping down on there. And, uh, and I thought, you know, this is, gonna, this is it, this really is it. And then somebody dragged my, yeah, dragged my boot off. I could feel somebody pulling at my boot, tearing my boot off. And then somebody was hitting my shin with, I don't know, so hitting my shin with an implement, you know, something, uh, something sharp and something narrow. Uh, and then this, again, it, it went on. Um, and then somebody grabbed hold of my hair and stuffed tissue paper down the back of my neck. And this was the worst thing, I think, that they did. Not what they did after that or anything that had gone before, the physical act of putting tissue paper down your neck and you think, what the hell is going on? You're sitting there in a completely blindfolded, completely disorientated, however many thousands of miles from home, from everything that you know, from everything that you understand, and somebody has pulled uh, your hair back, pulled your head back, and put tissue paper down your neck. And you think, what the what is he going to do? What is this for? What, you know, what is going to happen? And... Uh, and that, if he'd asked me a question then, I think I probably would have given in then, but they didn't. Uh, he just lit the tissue paper at the back of my neck. It's enough, you know, this is enough now. This has gone on too far. Ask me another question and, and, and I'm yours. I've given in. You feel failure, you know. This is the second time in a short space of time. We presume it was a short space of time. That, uh, that you failed in what you've been directed to do. Um, so you feel a complete failure. You've, you've let yourself down. Uh, you've let all of your comrades down. Would they have done the same thing in the situation? You know, would they have held on longer? Who else is in there in other rooms holding on longer? It's a, a total sense of failure. In the ensuing interrogations, Peters and Nicol avoided giving away anything of military value. But their ordeal was far from over. We'd been there for a day or so, I suppose, in this corridor. And uh, 
I, I was kind of asleep and they suddenly kicked, kicked you up and you sat up and you had four or five guys around you and you were just standing up over you and, and they came down and said, uh, you're a war criminal. I said, no. I said, you're a war criminal, you've killed women and children and we're going to shoot you. And they said, no. And they said, we will put you on television as a war criminal. I said, no. And they say, if you do not go on television, we will kill you. And I said, no. And they said, you will, you will go on television as a war criminal. I said, no, I kept on refusing. And each time they kept on kind of punctuating it with a bloody slap around the face or hitting me. And then they said, Right, you know, you will never see your wife or children again. And they, they started picking me up and they just put a gun against my head. And I, I just thought, well, shit. You know, because the only way you can fight them at that stage is to survive. And uh, so uh, I said, OK, OK. And I said, I've committed no war crimes. And he said, yes, you have. You've uh, attacked a country that hasn't declared war on you, so we can uh, execute you for this. He said, or you can go on TV. Uh, and it wasn't a hard decision for me to make. Um, although, you know, I didn't want to do it, there was no way that I was going to be uh, taken out the back and put up against a wall and shot for, uh, for the simple act where I could go on TV and not do it. Uh, and the reason, my, my reasoning for this, right or wrong, was that uh, I'd always expected this to happen at some point. Um, and they had already used the uh, civilian hostages on TV. There's that appalling scene of the, uh, the little boy being used on TV. And it just brought outrage to the world. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if you do this, hopefully it'll do the same thing. And of course, I was going to be able to tell people uh, at home that I was alive, which I was convinced. You know, that they were, there's no way that these uh, Iraqis were going through the Red Cross. I, w I was, you know, this was my way of getting a message home to say I was alive, and that was a concern for me as well. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to Timeline Tapes. We've just heard how the persistent torture of pilot John Peters led to both men's inevitable admissions to Iraqi soldiers. We rejoin the story as both men are forced to go on live television and admit who they are or face the ultimate sacrifice. They asked us uh, a prepared list of questions, uh, going through, you know, what aircraft it was that we flew, etc. Tornado. Base of mission. Maharik Bahrain. And I tried to answer them as stilted as possible and also to use the exact words that they used which weren't making, you know, grammatical sense and things to try to show that I was under duress. To an attack in Iraqi airfield. How you have been shot down? I was shot down by an Iraqi system. I do not know what it was. What do you think of this war against Iraq? I think this war should be stopped so we can go home. I do not agree on this war with Iraq. And then at the end, they said, uh, you can send a message home now, or do you want to send a message home? It was incredibly difficult to uh, to stand there, uh, to sit there and send the message home. It was very, very uh, moving for me. Do you have a message to be sent? Well, Dad, if you're listening, everything is okay here. Please pray for me. We should be home soon. Eventually, they just got my name and rank that I shot down by a missile and I'd bombed an airfield. And that's where you win, because I say your, your body doesn't look good, but in your mind, you've won because they want you to do something and you haven't done it. Okay, you've gone on TV, but you hadn't done what they wanted you to do. You are age? 29. I'm Lee, with I made sure my my eye was towards the camera as best I could and uh, look down and not look at the camera. They said you can have a personal comment. 
and uh, that's that's I suppose that you get having had the thought of um, suddenly you were going to display yourself Helen I suppose and I, I thought you know this is probably the last time she's going to um, see me and it's like like this it's not honourable so um, I, I kind of said um, Helen Tony and Guy and then um, I wanted to say something to my mother and father, but I, I, I couldn't. It was. Um... Hello, there, Carisala. Do you have a message? After their television appearance, the Iraqis locked them away in solitary confinement. Their weeks of isolation ended abruptly on the 23rd of February. Suddenly, you heard this bomb incoming and you thought, Shh. And then the whole world just, I mean, this was a, a really strong building and the whole world just, you know, blew apart, I mean, yeah, kind of, the whole building just sh shook and uh, and it was complete blackness and an incredible, massive noise. Um, and then uh, and then followed by another one. I thought, you know, my God, we're the target this time. You know, this is just is this just isn't close. We are actually being bombed here. And I uh, scrambled out of my sleeping bag, put the uh, the old uh, sand shoes, the trainers on that they'd given me. I tried to tie them round my feet with some string, and uh, I'd also managed to trick them into giving me more water than usual. So I had a bowl of water there as well, which I was planning to have my first wash for four weeks with that. And I sat that beside me um, in case there was a fire. God knows what I was going to do with it. And then with the food bowl that they'd left, I padded that out with some blankets and I sat with that on my head in some vain hope of protecting myself from the falling masonry. My life flashed past my eyes when the, that uh, second bomb came in, definitely. I thought, you know, I was lifted bodily up off the floor and I was suspended in midair, if you like, uh, and it seemed to take forever to get back down again to the floor. I thought, the, you know, the floors had come in and I was falling through the building or something. That's... <laughs> when taken in context with being hit by a missile, being shot out of the sky, uh, being directly hit by Allied bombs comes fairly close to, uh, to the edge. Eventually, uh, one guy was, was at, his cell got blown open, so he uh, got out of his cell and he managed to open the little food hatches and it allowed us to talk along. So I screamed out, John, 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 Nicol, are you there? And uh, it bounced down the corridor and I heard that, yeah, yeah, John, you're okay. And after that, 
you don't have to ask anything of your mate because you know he's there, you know he's okay. So that, and all I could think of, I said, I bet you're not a f anymore. And he said, no, I'm sitting here with a plastic bowl on my head and all over the floor. On the 4th of March, four days after the war ended, John Peters was released by the Iraqis and driven to Jordan. He'd been imprisoned for 47 days, more than 40 of them in total isolation. John Nicol was freed the following day and flown to Riyadh. And then on to Cyprus. At Riyadh, we got uh, changed over onto an RAF Hercules for the uh, onward journey. Um, and when I got on there, one of the Lordmasters came up and said, you know, you need to look at this, uh, this newspaper. And it had uh, John's release in there. And, uh, and all of the, the press furore that had been caused by all of this and how he was on the front page of all of the papers all around the world. And, uh, and it also said that people still didn't know where I was. And that my parents didn't know if I was alive or dead and that they were just, you know, barricaded behind their, their door at, at home waiting for news. And that, you know, they were... You could tell from the article and the, the way the newspaper was written that they were just being harassed by the media. It's, it felt, for me, it felt that they were having 30 times harder. It felt for me that they were having a much harder time, you know, than I was of the whole thing, because they didn't know if I was alive or if I was dead. At least I knew, you know, what was going on. They just had no information at all. And it was uh, an appalling feeling to sit helplessly on an aircraft and, you know, not be able to say, you know, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm OK, you don't need to worry anymore and I just broke down sitting on the aircraft. Well, the first thing, obviously, I wanted to do in Cyprus was, uh, was, was phone Helen. So, uh, uh, I mean, they were, had to use phone cards. I couldn't believe it. They had to use phone cards. And the, uh, the chief of the hospital gave me a phone card, and I said, no, can I have two, please? And I got two phone cards. And uh, uh, I went along. The, the corridor, and there's just a, a, a phone in the corridor, and it was all very quiet. And uh, he left me, and I phoned, phoned, uh, phoned home. And uh, Tadge answered, uh, a guy on the squadron. I said, what the bloody hell are you doing there? Because it was about three o'clock in the morning back in Germany. And he said, oh, we're all celebrating. I'll, I'll go get Helen. And uh, I think Helen must have been quite drunk, because the <laughs> first thing she said, you know, was... Uh, I said, hi, it's me, and she said, have you still got your balls? When we arrived at um, Cyprus, the first thing I wanted to do was get to a telephone, and they were, the, uh, eventually managed to get me a telephone and a line out, and um, uh, the call was intercepted by the British telecom operators, and this had been because that uh, the people had been phoning them constantly, the press had been on the phone constantly, 
asking for news, asking for information, asking for comments. And so they'd had to have uh, an intercept put on the line so people couldn't get through. And I couldn't speak to the BT operator, she couldn't hear me. And so I was getting more and more frustrated, more and more upset, and eventually managed to get through to my brother, who lives in London, and I spoke to him and his wife on the phone. And, well, when I say spoke to him and his wife on the phone, you know, we, I held the phone in my hand and we couldn't really say anything, you know, I mean, it was just to hear my fa a family voice on the phone was too much for me. One of my big fears during captivity was Guy was going to forget me because uh, he was that, of that age, so I thought he was going to uh, uh, not remember me. But uh, Helen was standing on the steps holding Tony, who by this stage looked twice, you know, huge into what I saw last time. And uh, Guy just uh, ran down the stairs along along the path, and, you know, Daddy, Daddy, and that was um, that was that was very good. Uh, you know, so I just picked it up and I hugged him, and. Uh, and Helen, we just kind of uh, stood and hugged for a while. And then, uh, and then we went into to the building and had, had some champagne. And then, you know, just really back to, uh, back to normal, really. I mean, you have, as I say, your moments are very short then. And then you, you resume your sort of uh, a lifestyle. Uh, so we had some champagne. And, and then we went out and did the photo call with the press. Thanks for listening to Timeline Tapes. That's it for the final part of Tornado Down and the story of pilots John Peters and John Nickel. Join us next week as we turn our attention to Greek mythology and the island of the legendary Minotaur. If you want to experience more of today's story, you can watch it on our YouTube channel, along with hundreds of other documentaries. If you want to reach out to Timeline Tapes, you can email us at timeline at little.studios.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Those are both at TimelineWH. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and write a review, too. I've been Nate Fisher, and this has been Timeline Tapes. Let's go down in history together. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.